Are we live? Am I in? Can you hear me? Let's go get a little yeah if you can hear me. Hopefully we've got people in, people joining. Welcome back. Hello and hi if you're new. Um, so I am Kaz from Property by Kazi and today we have our Sunday session called Ask Someone Else. I've been told to make sure I say ask someone else because I've been saying somebody else like it's somebody else like i mean yeah i've just been saying the wrong thing um hi property mom i know you're coming on end of july i believe building black wealth hello how you doing miss h how you doing hello everybody so i have some good news and some bad news today is the last episode of season one of um ask someone else for all of those that have tuned in every week or caught up with them on the youtube we thank you your support and love is always appreciated. Um, this week, we were supposed to go live with Karina Lepore. Unfortunately, um, she wasn't able to attend this week. Um, she did let me know in advance. So she hasn't pulled a Kelly upstaged on us. Um, but I said, you know, as, as when Kelly didn't attend, the show must go on. So we're here to talk to you today just about all things property. So I think potentially if somebody does want to join with me, send me a request. Uh, I'll look at you quickly and see if I can get you on. Away from that, feel free to ask me any questions you like in the property space around my journey, um, around what I've been up to. So whilst the questions build up, I'll talk a little about myself. So my name is Kazim Ali Balogan or Kazi from Property by Kazi property developer that focuses on flips, BRR deals, um, and pretty much everything um, in the property space in South London. I've done everything, like I said, from flips, BRR, ground up, conversions, renovations, loft space deals, um, office to residential, so a bit of everything, but I really love a conversion at the moment and that's my focus. I've also um, been part of a rent to rent brand as a co-founder, built the business up to having an excess of a million pound turnover pre my excess exit in 2020 towards the end of 2020. So that's kind of my background. But although, you know, we've built up and at the moment, if everything goes to plan, we're on track to have a GDV of between seven to eight million over the next 18 to 24 months. You know, it all started from a singular place and a single deal. Um, so it'll be good to obviously kind of discuss at any point of the journey. It'd also be good to have a conversation about um, what, you know, what other people are up to, what motivates you in the space, where you're taking things, what directions, etc. But again, hello to everyone that's joined. Quick refresh. This is Ask Somebody Else, but today it's Ask Me. So feel free to ask me any questions in this property space. I have myself property by Kazi. Outbuildings, have I ever built one in a garden? Um, yes, I've built two, I believe. One, like a solid structure, so pretty standard foundations, etc. And one was a timber frame building um, that was just for a client that just went in an outside space. They used it as a sort of a beauty salon um, for his partner who worked at home doing beauty treatments. I don't know if there's anything else I can expand on that, yeah, but that's, that's the answer to that question. But yeah, feel free you know, to get those questions in. Um, request. Um, 
Yeah, all right, let me look. I think I had a couple of questions. Let's have a look. Any recommendations for good bridging finance brokers? Um, yeah, so there's a guy, if you go down to week three, I think it is, three or four, um, in regards to this question, let me ping it up. You can engage with Sam Norris. Um, he's a good guy that I've networked with on the platform, has um, helped a lot of people with finance for their builds. Um, so I'd definitely recommend reaching out to him. Potentially, you could also reach out to um, Sharina as well, who works for a specialist lender. She could help you. I think she's week five or six. I'm guessing the weeks. Um, but yeah, they're all, they've all been up. Or potentially, I can introduce you to my own broker as well, who I use. Just drop me a message. Da, 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 da. Um, how, Ashley, how did I get into this? Um, so I think property is a space that, um, you know, a lot of us, we have the idea that we want to get into property, your own property, or as and when, you know, our wealth builds, property is something that we plan to invest in. And I think just on the first instance of when I built some capital for a previous business in Shisha, um, decided to invest in my first flip. So my first flip was on a road called Mayor Road in Sydenham, SE26, and it was an auction purchase. I built, bought it with a bridge because I didn't have great credit, put in like a 30% deposit, which I think my GD, um, no, my loan to value was about 64% net by the time they took their fees in advance. Uh, refurbed it, flipped it, made a decent return and just basically continued that process, increasing the return and increasing the project size and the number of projects over a time period. Oops, so what have I done? What have I done? I saw a question that I wanted to answer and it's gone now. Um, for somebody who wants to get involved in property and has no experience or idea about the industry, where would you advise to start? Um, so good question. There's a lot of different routes and it depends which one you want to go down. Um, some people want to start potentially from maybe a trade. So there's a lot of apprenticeships you can get into where you learn the industry, you learn a skill set that you're adding value. So when you come to do your own projects, you know, could do work for a lot cheaper and potentially have a lot lower bill costs. So you can maybe pay that little bit more and get into or make a little bit more money. Um, you could also go down the academic route of taking of going to university or doing like a professional qualification, whether that be in surveying or different different options or project management, etc., to get into the industry. Or um, one of my, 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 I think one of my favourite things and one of the things I recommend the most is getting into like real estate. So um, actually, like a sales or lettings negotiator role. Reason being is your learning an area, you're learning about a specific geographical area, you're learning about house prices, you're seeing developers actually do it on a day-to-day -day basis. So you're learning how to appraise a deal because you're seeing what they bought and what they sold it for. So you're seeing the process almost beginning to end. You can build relationships with developers, with agents, with other people in the field. So it's a really good way to build your um, network. So potentially I'd say that is a good idea if you're looking to get into things. Let me get some questions. Um, what are the most promising areas to invest in London? So off the top of my head, I couldn't give you loads of, like, I couldn't give you every area, but I can tell you areas that I've invested in specifically. So um, Croydon was one of those areas because they have a very 
fluid, I think I'm going to use as a word, um, like attitude towards planning. So in terms of adding value and developing those assets, they've, um, they've been really good for that process to allow me to actually add value. Also, there's been a significant investment on infrastructure and just the area as a whole. So when you see that, you know, the big boys like the Barrett Homes and people like that are investing, often they have, they spend a lot of money on research to make sure they're investing in the right areas, particularly because they're now doing uh, build to rent projects that they're gonna hold for a long time. So following that money, um, I do the same with Greenwich. So Greenwich is a borough that I really like, and even slightly further afoot when you look at your, your Eltham's, Thamesmead, even as far as Dartford. Um, again, because of the transport links and the Crossrail and HS2 going down there, um, it just means getting into central London will be a lot quicker. And with that, again, investment on infrastructure, you, you can see they're investing money in that area, so it makes sense to kind of be ahead of the curve, particularly when you can still get in and you can purchase maybe a three bedroom house in Plumstead for anywhere from 350 to 425,000 as prices go in London, pretty reasonable still. And when you see what they're selling the flats for that they're developing just because they're by the river, two bedroom flats for 500,000, you're gonna see that trickle down effect in value um, for yourselves. So I think that's, but there are others. I'd say, I'll see if I can ping something up afterwards of some of like the areas that have some of the highest growth recently. Like I know Hackney's been done really well. A few other areas as well. Da, 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 da. Okay. What's the biggest goal I want to hit in 2021? Um, I would say like this, so I have a good pipeline at the moment. So I've, I've sorted out my pipeline and I have a multitude of projects. Some are just filling, finishing and are currently on the market. Some are right at the beginning. We've got offers accepted and we're going through conveyancing. Some we own already and have um, planning, like, you know, it's going through the process of planning. Some we've just achieved planning and are ready to work on. So I think I just want to maintain that pipeline. So I don't ever want to leave like, like even a pound that I don't need to sitting in my bank. Like I want to make sure as soon as that money comes in, I've already got a property that I've planned to acquire that I'm going to spend it on. Because as you know, Alfred, like any money sitting in your bank is just, it's dead money. It's not making you any money. So I want to make sure that I keep that pipeline strong and keep working on all of the existing projects and make sure that as soon as I exit anything, I've got another one to replace it. But I really think numbers, like the number of projects I'm doing, I don't necessarily want to do a load of different stuff, but I want to keep these numbers of the projects that I'm doing quite high. Um, what else was there? Do I work to do? Okay, it's a good one. Would I give work experience um, for people aged over 16? So I think not necessarily work experience, but what I do plan to do is um, potentially do like, I have like a couple of different days. So these would just be three days that I run just to kind of get a grip of what people are looking for but do like a deal analysis day, maybe for people slightly further on and maybe kind of looking at their first deal and trying to work out whether or not it makes sense. Um, and then also do like days for people that are very much at sort of stage one. They just want to know like how property development works, 
you know, what you need to get a mortgage, different types of mortgages, etc. So probably not work experience, but maybe some sort of like group learning, um, probably run something like that potentially down at the Hill Hub. Okay, what else we got? What else we got? Um, so this is interesting. So my, I don't t- particularly do, I guess, what a lot of people would class as like massive deals. Like, so we might, we do stuff that's worth over a million, but in London, that doesn't always take loads. Uh, my deals are particularly, you know, conversion to, from one house to maybe four, five, six dwellings at a maximum, and they're the type of deals that I like. Um, in terms of the team, um, build team, probably seven, seven, like anywhere from six, six sort of six to eight guys depending on how busy we are and what stage we're at sometimes it's a lot less sometimes a few more if there's external contractors coming to do maybe specialist tasks like the k render or other bits like that in terms of my team um so i've got my accountant i've got uh, my pa then i've got someone who helps with deal acquisition and then myself the project managers and that's pretty much the, the team and the structure at present but it works quite well everybody's busy but nobody's too busy see what's next in the question i think if you put the questions in the question box, they're easier um to answer let's have a look is getting planning permission a challenge i.e khadija house into flats so for those who haven't seen it um khadija house was a house i bought i always forget the years i want to say around 2015 and converted it into four flats um so was it a challenge Yes, it was a challenge. One reason because I was the first person on this specific road to do it, particularly to get four flats. I think a lot of people have done it since and only managed to get three. Um, but it's about your team. So I work with Alex from AA Drafting and the rest of that team over there. They've been really helpful when it comes to making sure whatever I have as an idea, they'll tell me how feasible it is, even maybe potentially before acquiring sites or at the point in which I've exchanged we make sure we do those real feasibility studies to make sure what I'm planning is actually viable. It probably took about, you know, to get six months to get planning, a year to get the final planning for the four flats. Um, so it did take a considerable amount of time. However, obviously the uplifting value was worth that time. But I would say just making sure you understand what it is that the council requires for you to be able to complete that conversion. And what I mean by that is there's going to be a number of tick boxes that you need to make sure you tick. So is there the right amount of outside space? Do you have space for bin storage? Do you have space for bicycles? What's the parking like on the road? Have you done a day and night survey to make sure, you know, the impact of the light on the house next door if you're doing extensions? Have you done a parking survey? Um, So you really need to have those conversations and make sure you're ticking the boxes because if you don't, then it's very easy to get a decline based on something very small. So just look at that feasibility from the outset. Oh, it's hard talking nonstop like this, you know. I'm gonna need, someone's gonna have to log in and come and talk to me. So feel free to uh, tag in. Um, Specifically, couldn't tell you but I would say for my business before I had around 80,000 
again, not a hundred percent, but I'll, I'll go back and look into that, and I'll actually check what I needed. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go and double check that. I think around that figure though is what I managed to raise from my previous business. Ooh, what's next? What's next? What's next? I'm gonna start trying to say people's names again. Um, I'm gonna say this name, and this name is RFC. Oh, that one, that was smooth, right? I'm getting better at the names. How long did it take you to build my team? Um, so I've been doing this for eight years. Built the team. I've built numerous teams. People have, you know, we've not fallen out. Some people have just moved on. Some people's prices have got too high for me to be able to retain them. Some people just simply weren't good enough for the standard of works that way to continue. Um, and although you build a team, I'd never say it's completely fixed as it's all you know, property dependent, some things. Sometimes I don't actually use my core team. I use a load of subcontractors and project manage if maybe the margins are slightly tighter or it's a very simple project. Um, but I think in terms of building a team, it's just a case of making sure you've got the right people in the right place and they're fit for purpose and you work out that your numbers still make sense at the end of the day. Um, one second, one second, what else is there? There's a lot of questions. Uh, what are the basic mistakes people make when first starting out that you can avoid? Um, I actually did a post about this recently with the guys from Property in 12, just talking about the very common mistakes that I believe um, a lot of people make. I think like getting over romanticized in the deal is one that's key a lot of people love the idea of investing in property so much that they actually um they, they make the numbers work for the deal rather than making checking if the deal works based on the numbers and i think that's one yeah really big mistake that a lot of people make and actually sends people down the wrong path because if the deal works and the deal stacks and a deal makes sense, a lot of the time you have wiggle room to make mistakes. Like if you overpay a little bit, if you have to do something twice, if there's enough meat on the bone in the deal, then a lot of those you know mistakes are manageable or can be mitigated. But you really need to make sure that when you're buying a property, you understand what you're buying it for, what the ceiling prices in the area are, what you plan to spend on it, how long it's going to take, how long your finance is going to cost, how much, sorry, how much your finance is going to cost and what can you realistically sell it for? And I think if you get all of those things right, then you'll go a long way. I've fortunately touched wood. I've um, never lost money on a deal and I think it's because that's probably my main strength. I just can appraise a deal and see what makes money. But yeah, definitely, I mean, in regards to that question, go on, like go back a couple of posts. It's just like common mistakes. There's about seven of them that I've highlighted, but definitely let me know what you think of that when you go and check it out. Okay, okay, I didn't say your name. My bad, I'm gonna say the next name. I'm gonna say it right first time. How many properties do you own and um, what's your goals in terms of numbers in your portfolio? And that's from Hayach. I think that's Hayach. I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, I currently got eight, 18 units, I believe. Um, but that, again, that fluctuates. So, you know, I might be converting the house into flats and that might be 
multiple units at any given time, but the plan might be as a flip, so they may be sold and they're going to be gone in a sort of short space of time. Um, in terms of numbers in my portfolio, if you've sort of looked at my bio when you create an Instagram, you have to write something. So I said my target is to have a portfolio worth um, 10 million over the next three years. I wrote that goal down about um, a year ago, a year ago. Um, I need to sort of do the numbers, but um, yeah, pushing, pushing towards that. In terms of long-term goals, um, I mean, I, I don't have a specific number. I think once I've hit that, that, that quota, um, it will just be a case of, you know, sort of the sky's the limit. I, I wouldn't want to limit myself to say, oh, I want to get this many in stock or that many in stock. It's really just a case of just, yeah, man, just, just, just go for the moon. Go for everything, really. Let me see more questions. Um, let me have a look at this. Uh, for someone who wants to get involved in property, has no idea. I think I've already basically asked, answered this, to be fair. So I'm going to skip this one. But yeah, rewind the live when it's on um, YouTube and you'll catch the answer to that one. Um, how often do I use bridging slash commercial loans when I first started? Were they difficult to attain? Arif, it's you again. So you're like, I'm comfortable with that name now. It's like we're having a conversation. Um, I use them quite regularly because the properties that I'm purchasing, quite a lot of them were probably 50-50 from auction. Some were like direct to vendor, some were probate. So a lot of the time had to be able to exchange and complete quite quickly and choosing them a lot. Um, in terms of are they difficult to attain? No, not really, as long as you have the capital required to put down as a deposit. Um, because you're putting in a higher deposit and they're getting a higher rate of interest, so their reward is higher, they're generally willing to take more of a risk. So whether or not you're buying you know, an earlier stage or you don't have the best credit as opposed to a lender who's offering you a much lower rate of interest and therefore a lot lower return, they have you know, a lot higher you know, criteria when it comes to the amount of risk they're willing to take. So they're not that difficult, but you do just need to make sure that just because they're not difficult doesn't mean that they're not always suitable for you. You need to make sure you, you kind of work out your cost of finance when appraising the deal. Um, and make sure that the deal that you're looking at, you know, timeframes wise, you know, what if it takes eight months rather than the four months you've been projecting? Are you still going to make money? Are you still safe in the deal? What happens with your bridge as well? If you go over a certain time frame, how much do the costs go up? So just make sure because, you know, bridges can be can be obviously notoriously quite ruthless if you don't meet your commitments in terms of timeframes. So just make sure you stress test that deal. Oops, okay, next question. Where am I gonna go? There's a lot of questions actually. This is a good question. From, oh my gosh. You're gonna have to, someone's gonna have to tell me how to say this. I don't know where to break it down. One, no, I'm not even trying. Somebody write it like phonetically for me. Um, top three value creation strategies on a project. So my number one go-to is um, your one bedroom to two bedroom flat simply through reconfiguration. I love those when I see like a one bed flat that's maybe 
It's O'Neill. Nah, that's not what that says. I'm not having it. Oh, it's O'Neill. Sorry, you said it, so you're right. My bad. Okay, um, top value creation strategies on a project. So, yeah, my number one is one bed to two bedroom flats, particularly in London. You know, the uplift is often quite crazy. The difference between one bed and two beds in a lot of areas is, you know, it's 50,000, it's 75,000 is really good money, particularly if you can do that through a light refurbishment, maybe moving a kitchen to an open plan kitchen, living room, relocating the bathroom to between two rooms where there's not a requirement for natural light. That was my initial strategy that worked really well, particularly on a lower capital requirement. Once you've acquired the property, even if you were buying the property as your residential property and looking to do the works whilst living in, um, you could have a five, 10, 15% deposit, then a much lower works budget, maybe 20 to 25,000. And if you can make a return of 50,000, you're potentially having a 100% return on investment. Um, so I really like that one. As you move forward, um, office to residential conversions, they, they can be really good as well, particularly when you could do it under um, permitted development, because it's a lot more straightforward. You know what you can do from day one. Um, and at an early stage of doing them, it was a lot easier to acquire them technically below market value because the market value that we have as developers is a lot higher than what they were valued as offices. Um, so that was a really good um, sort of creating additional value. Um, and the last is my favorite at the moment, which is conversion. So splitting a single family dwelling into multiple units, um, partic particularly, you know, the area that I focus on buy houses for between five to 600,000. And we have a GDV of generally between 1.1 and 1.4 million. Um, so really good uplift on costs based on the works and um, you know, a good planning gain there as well. So hope that helps. Thank you, O'Neill. Yeah. If you got a lot of questions, I'm gonna to go to somebody else. Um, I think this is a good question and I can pronounce the name, O'Neill. Got that one right first time. When I hit 10 million, will I continue to flip or focus more on developing? I guess that means keeping. Um, I think my main ethos behind developing is one thing that I like is sort of a tagline that I've created for myself, but it's semi-affordable luxury, particularly because I operate in South London, you know, that prices are still really high in comparison to the rest of the UK. But as London goes, it's a lot lower than um, certain postcodes. And I think what I'd like to do is be to begin to create, you know, luxury, kind of luxury, semi-affordable, um, either, you know, blocks of flats or like small streets. So, you know, maybe eight to nine houses on a private development, um, sort of maybe outskirts of London. I like the idea of doing stuff like that. If the numbers stack and I can get 100% of my money out, then I'd, I'd probably like to keep them, as I do believe that, you know, we have, we've nowhere niched, like sort of reached a pinnacle of property prices in London, um, and they'll continue to rise. Um, and then obviously sort of diversify into other areas as well. Let me find some more questions. Uh, Sanjay, I feel like this is Sanjay. Uh, what's the minimum period on a lease that I would normally buy? 
Nine years? Like, it's not to say I would normally buy it, but I'm not really that concerned with a short lease. Um, obviously, if, if again, if the deal stacks, the deal stacks. If you're buying it, you're buying it on the basis of how much you estimate the lease extension to cost. Um, or you maybe just be buying it as an investment in that even if you wound down the whole lease and can never agree an extension, you're going to make more from a rental return than you would based on you know the, the duration left on your lease. Um, I think the shortest I've actually bought to date is about 16 years. And I think, yeah, I literally bought it. I held it for like a month and put it back in auction the following month. And I think sold it for a 50% uplift. Um, but again, I wouldn't be scared from about short leases um, as long as you have a strategy of what you're going to do with them and you're making sure that you're buying it, taking into account the cost of the lease extension. Um, also, with potentially the changes like a lease reform act that would remove the, um, mar the marriage cost of a lease extension, um, then you know, it actually could be a strategy because if they change these things and they actually revamp the lease extension laws, you could find yourself really onto a winner if you own these properties. If the cost of the lease extension halves because of changes in legislation, all of a sudden your return on investment on that property is going to shoot through the roof because your costs are halved. So I don't think it's necessarily, I think it's actually a really good time to buy properties of a short lease. Mm. I had those love hearts, that was a good answer, right? Um, ch -ch 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 -ch. Let me see. I just answered that one. I'm just going to click on this because I like to. What are my views on holiday caravans as a business opportunity? I honestly have no idea. But if somebody in the comments um, wants, you know, wants to answer that and educate myself, feel free because it's asked somebody else and I've got no idea. I'm very frank with you. Um, so again, let me, while I pick another question, just reset. So today is another episode of Ask Someone Else. But unfortunately, that someone else couldn't attend. But it's not their fault. They promised they will be back on for season two. We'll get them booked back in. So as always, the show must go on. So you're asking myself, Property by Kazi. Um, I've given you a brief, 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 not beef, brief background on myself as a developer. And then I invite any questions um, to hopefully aid you in your journey as a developer. So let me find a question I like the look of. Uh, so I think I sort of just answered this shot. But um, yeah, so I have done a couple of ground up developments. Um, and it is something I'd really like to do. I'd like to, like I said, build a little street slash cul-de-sac, some really nice um what i would call luxury houses probably still expensive in comparison to like the rest of the uk but maybe anywhere from the sort of five hundred thousand to seven hundred and fifty thousand pound mark but i'd love to do them to a really really good spec the kind of thing that you would expect to see in million pound plus properties you know really plush i saw a great example of a guy called davy price um, who did something i don't know if you guys follow him but if you don't i definitely recommend giving his page a look at, um, he's got some really good examples over there. But I would like to do something like that. Um, um, 
background Nigerian or Nigerian English um, so yeah do do some bits in Nigeria potentially looking to do more um, in the long term but probably once I've hit some of my key goals in the UK we look to diversify slightly and do some new builds overseas lock in lock in lock in gonna try and get through I will just be on for another 15 minutes but I try and get through as many questions as possible um, another question as well, just while I've got you on, a question for you guys. So I was saying, potentially for season two, we've already got um, loads of, loads of, loads of good guests on. I'm actually going to ping my notes up and see who see who we've got on. Um, but yeah, for season two or slash season three, potentially looking actually doing a full podcast. So having it as something that, you know, there's like, you know, rather than doing it live, we might have the live just running in the background, but also do proper podcast that will be uploaded films like you know one-on-one with the guest um with the audio uploaded to your spotify's and um itunes etc what do you think of that while i find a question uh do i recommend doing an spv when building a property portfolio um i recommend doing an spv if you're doing that property within it with somebody else as a JV, if you're doing it as an individual, um, potentially you could just increase, you know, your sort of administrative costs. If you've got various companies, various sets of accounts to fill out, but you plan on holding those properties, potentially maybe having two companies, one for holding property and one for flips, um, may work for you but i think the spv model is probably sorry for those that don't know spv is a special purpose vehicle where you set up an individual company for the sole purpose of that particular project that would probably be closed at the end of it um, a lot of the time also there's tax benefits of having multiple different income streams in one company as there may be opportunities you can ups offset certain you know income against certain expenses etc and it gives you a bit more flexibility but again that's just my personal advice but would advise you reaching out to a specialist accountant so i use 40 accounts who were on recently i think episode two or three um check those guys out if you have any questions in regards to your tax oh what am i gonna ask now or answer now let me see let me see do i have Um, Arif, Arif is back. Um, does it involve property? But any key advice for opening up a shisha lounge or restaurant? Yes, like the the like. I like you know a lot of people shisha is very popular. You do need to understand that shisha is also unhealthy, um, and therefore most councils view it quite negatively. So you're not necessarily going to get loads of support or, or benefits. Um, you also need to make sure that you understand that we live in the UK, which means weather is very unpredictable. Realistically, we get three good months and the rest of it is very hit or miss. And even those three months can be hit or miss. So I definitely say make sure because Shisha does need to be outside that you have a space that can accommodate for different types of weather. Um, because if your sole business is Shisha, you can't just rely on, you know, you can only trade in, in um, 
fine weather days. That would probably be my main go-to. And also potentially just look at the council in which you are hoping to operate in and trying to have a look at their attitude towards shisha lounge as a whole um, and maybe speak to existing people in the industry of their experiences with any specific council that you hope to open in. I'm going to pick somebody else. Mm. I'm, gonna, I'm not um, oh I can't actually let me try again it didn't let me open that question uh, when changing a one bed to a two bed flat in London do you need planning permission from the or sorry do you need planning or permission from the freeholder um, potentially you could need both, but more realistically, you'd probably need permission from your freeholder. Um, so that would be a license to alter agreement you'd have with your freeholder. So effectively, you'd tell them what you're hoping to do, and then they would give you, you know, consent effectively to make those changes. Now, they can't what's called unreasonably withhold that right. However, you know, some freeholders operate a lot more of a business than others so some may say okay they're going to send their survey around they need various versions of plans they need to inspect the work they may impose various different um, costs on you to do it some would just say yeah we're fine we're happy as long as you get building regs um, we're you know we're fine with that so if you are moving kitchens and bathrooms you would probably need to comply with your current building regulations although you wouldn't need planning you would just need to make sure that it's been signed off and you could either use a private um, building control company or you could use the council. Personally, I'd always recommend using private as you pay for them regardless, but at least you're choosing who you pick and you have to have a bit more accountability. Uh... <laughs> I'm just going to skim through some questions. I'm not going to post them all up because they're a lot from the same person. Uh, but uh, Wiz Adder asked, do I know a lot about architecture? Um, no, I know a little and I let my architect know a lot and I make sure that I just pick a good architect. Um, in what ways can you maximise your profit margins when it comes to doing flips? Buying for the right price, having a good build team, don't overspend and don't take too long in the project to reduce your finance costs. Probably the best answers to that. Um, what are the headaches of doing rent to rent and where did you stop? Um, I mean, like in the industry, there's a, there's a lot of um, administration in rent to rent. Um, also, obviously, because you're guaranteeing rents in most instances, depending on who you're using, whether that's because you're doing um, serviced accommodation or whether it's because you're doing um, like that like single let to HMO. You need to consider the market. Obviously, no one would have predicted a pandemic, um, but that unprecedented level of wage. So you do need to potentially make sure, you know, obviously it's not predictable, but what insurances or what other things you can have in place to mitigate that. Um, I stopped because it, I don't think it was as a, much of a passion as mine as the development. I think I prefer the transitions. I prefer potentially being on sites more often than doing more admin. 
Um, but it is a really, really good way of building cash flow. But I do just think you need to make sure you understand and have an appetite for that it has a lot of um, a lot of administration within within that sort of element of property. I'm going to go through the, the conversation. Actually, I'm going to come out of the question and see some of the questions that were asked in the chat. Da, 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 da. Um, do do uh, and do I sell or keep properties? Mixture of both. Um, so I built a mixed portfolio, including commercial, HMOs, flats, houses um, across my time being a property developer. But a lot of the time. I don't do BRRR, which is buy, refurbish, uh, refinance and rent. What I do is flips. And then if I'm going to buy something um, to rent out, it's bought specifically to rent as opposed to something that maybe has to tick multiple boxes, which means it's easier to find a perfect property when I'm looking for yield, for example, or when I'm looking for sort of long term capital appreciation without adding immediate um, value. Do I know how bridging loans work? Um, yeah, to a degree. I'm sure um, somebody else can come and answer this better. Um, but effectively, a bridging loan is a specialist um, short-term like finance option where you're borrowing money uh, where the lender is taking a first charge or their security against the house and they will lend you a specific sum um, generally speaking, they also take the they retain the interest up front. So if you're paying 0.8% a month and you're doing that over 12 months, and that's going to cost you £12,000, if they were going to lend you 100000 they take that £12,000 up front, they'd actually only lend you, um, oh gosh, what's the maths? 88000 um, um And then, yes, they have it for a fixed term. It's not like a long-term loan, like a mortgage. You can only keep it for that specific term. In a lot of instances, that price also shoots up if you wanna keep it for longer than your original agreed term. You're basically supposed to complete your works. You complete your works in most cases at your cost. And then you have to explain how you're gonna exit from the deal, whether you're gonna sell or refinance, etc. You pay them back. So if you were gonna refinance, you get a new loan from a, maybe a buy to let or residential mortgage, depending on what you've done. Um, you pay back your bridging loan and obviously you take the difference if the property's gone up in value. Um, am I going to do the raffle? Mm, I'm thinking to do a raffle. I don't have a project that I'd like to raffle at the moment because I feel like I wouldn't like to raffle a flat. I'd like to raffle a house if I was going to do it. Um, but I need to look into it more. But I do like the idea of just being able to actually give away like a house. Like it just sounds epic. Like I could come with scissors and there could be a massive ribbon and I can just show up and this is your house now. And then, yeah, that, that sounds like fun. <laughs> so um, yeah, maybe I'm gonna raffle a house, but probably not this year, probably next year. Um, Automotive. Great to see what you're doing. Uh, wish you much success. Can I explain how refinancing works in your business model? Uh, yes, I believe if I'm, I'm going to answer this question as I believe you've asked it. Um, so a lot of the time we buy an asset because property prices are going up or because we're adding value. 
um, at the end of the term of that mortgage, you'll find that you may have, you know, bought a property for 250,000 with a 25% deposit, um, which means you've got sort of 60 odd, 62 and a half thousand pounds um, in the property. Is that right? It might not be right, but I'm going to guess it's right. Um, so that's how much of your own money you've got in. Now, let's say that property shoots up to being worth 350 because of works you've added, um, or works you've done, or value you've added. Then, when you now come to want to refinance that property, you can borrow against its current value. So you pay back your existing loan of one hundred and eighty-seven and a half thousand, and then when they lend you the new amount, which is twenty-five percent of the increased value, you can take the difference and take that money back out to go and work and do something else, or go on a really nice holiday. Um, let me go down. Let me have a look. Could I bring someone on here to speak about buying at auctions? Do you know what I am? I'm going to actually bring Maya Salissa on at some point. I'm not going to do it on a live. I'm just going to randomly do it. It could be at any point. But I'm just going to bring them on and I'm going to give you like an amazing 15 minutes of just tips on buying at auction, the difference between freehold and leasehold. Um, and yeah, all of that stuff. But it's going to be random. So make sure you get your notifications turned on. Um, Maverick. <laughs> what inspired me to get into property. I think I was inspired to get into property because of money, um, but I've stayed in property because I found that it's actually what I've got a passion for. And I genuinely like, you know, taking something that's in a really rundown state or is unappreciated or people can't see value in or seeing, being able to see past, you know, the mess of something and create something really nice. Um, so that's kind of my motivation for staying in property, but I probably got into it in the first case because of money. And I think, I think I might, I might wrap it up around there. Um, again, appreciate everybody for, for tuning in, for logging in. I'm going to get as much of these live on YouTube as, as soon as possible. So if you're not already, make sure you're following the YouTube, which is property by Kazi, all one word, the same, don't put any spaces or you won't find me. Um, I did a recent interview actually with the guys over at Be My Guest podcast. That's probably been my favorite interview. They made me feel really comfortable. I enjoyed it a lot. So if you haven't already, check it out on their YouTube. I think I put a link to their channel. I think it's actually currently the link in my bio. So if you haven't checked it out already, make sure you check it out because I think, yeah, that was a, a smooth one. That's where that quote from, that I most recently posted came up from. Um, and yeah, we'll be back soon, better than ever with season two. So make sure you're following and locked in. Appreciate you all. Take care.